James chapter 5, verse 7 through 12. The song talked about how we're called to praise God in the midst of all of our trials and all of our tribulations. And we know that in James chapter 5, verse 1 through 6, James was just condemning the rich for oppressing the poor. And he was calling them out for their negligence, for their sin. James chapter 7, chapter 5, verse 7 through 12, James now is turning his attention away from the rich to Christians who are suffering at the hands of the rich, at the hands of those who are financial hoarders, who are oppressing them. And we read in verse 7 these words, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you might not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brother, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and, ha- and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but yet let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is light, which is truth, your word which, which is strength, your word which is bread for the beggar, your word, Father God, which is, is our, our path, Father, to holiness and to to righteousness, our path to Christ. And we pray that as we read your word, Father, we pray that you would allow us to see Christ. Allow us to see how he comforts in the midst of suffering. Allow us to to walk out of here adoring him, Father God. I pray, Lord, that you, Lord, would use me a broken vessel, a vessel, Father God, who is not in any way worthy by my own merit or own work to be able to preach your word, but who is only made worthy by the blood of the Lamb. I thank you, Father, for these your children. Open their ears, Father God. Let them hear from you, Father. Create a a longing in their heart for this subject, Father God. Allow your Holy Spirit, Father God, to captivate their minds and to regulate their hearts so that we would glorify you. Speak, Lord. For your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. 
sure that each of us who have been employed before has a day that sticks out in their mind or in your mind that you will probably never forget. One of those days, one of those shifts that seem to take forever to pass. One of those days where everything goes wrong. Well, I remember working in, while I was working in a retail store, having a day like that. And the day really became long as a result of two people who came in together. One was the consumer, the customer. He was looking for a suit. And the other was there to help him to find a suit. The one who was looking for a suit had trouble walking. And he walked with a cane. And it took him a while to get to his next, to take his next step. He also was very difficult to understand. And as our interaction with, went on, I learned that he had suffered from a stroke some years ago. And had never recovered. But you know, I have to be honest with you. That man was one of the meanest people that I have ever met in my life. Now, I am sensitive to the fact that he was suffering. I am aware of the fact that he had suffered a stroke and as a result that he was not able to communicate in the way that he wanted to. But this gentleman stayed in that store for an hour and a half, and every single thing that came out of his mouth was an insult or a, a curse word. He was cursing the very person that was trying to help him. He was grumbling and, and complaining about each employee, about how incompetent we were because we could not understand exactly what he wanted. He hit his cane against some of the furniture. He threw coats down on the floor. He threw temper tangents, and then he expected us to treat him as if he ran the world. Have you ever met anyone like that? Anyone who just seems to be so mean and seems to be uh, just so, so rude. And, and, and the reason that they're mean or rude is, is really built upon the fact that they are suffering or have suffered. And they expect you to bend over backwards because they have suffered for you. Because they have suffered. And if you don't, they make you pay. Well, James... And this text is helping Christians, it's helping us to understand that God expects us to respond a certain way even in the midst of suffering. 
James is writing to some dispersed Jews who are dispersed throughout the provinces. And, and he has just talked about and acknowledged the fact that he sees that they are under oppression. He sees the fact that the rich are overworking them and underpaying them. He, he sees the fact that they are being mistreated and, and misused, being walked up and, and walked down. He sees the fact that they are being cursed and, and being treated as, as cattle. But yet he turns his attention from the rich and he graciously challenges his listeners. He graciously challenges them to glorify Christ even in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their pain. And we have a lot in common with James' listeners. The first thing we have in common with them, of course, is that we're human. And as human beings, we will suffer. Not we might, but we will suffer. It's not a matter of if. Isn't that what James said when he opened the book? When he started off in the first chapter, he says, when you face trials, not if. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. We all have some suffering. We all have some issues. We all have some, some pains, some things that we, hey, we've went through in the past and some things that we're even going through right now. Some of us is suffering through marital problems. Some of us are suffering through financial problems. Some of us are suffering as a result of our, our children going wayward. Some of us is, a, is suffering as a result of a professor that is working our last nerves. Some of us is suffering. Honestly, as a result of ourselves. And that's what I love about the Bible. That's what I love about the biblical narrative is that the Bible speaks truth. It, it prepares us for a, 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 a various and, 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 and multicolored type of, type of trials. It, it, it prepares us. It doesn't leave us, us blind. Some people say that the Bible gives a false hope, that it's a, a pie-in-the-sky type of theology. But that's not what the Bible is. The Bible gives us hope. The Bible prepares us for times of suffering. Jesus said in John chapter 16 verse 33 in this world you will have tribulations Christian and non-Christian we will have tribulations but Christians are expected to respond a different way in the midst of our tribulation in the midst of our trials in the midst of our pain Jesus went on to say uh, in this world you will have tribulations but his next line is but take heart." He says, take heart, man up, says, for I have overcome the world. I like the way Paul summarized his ministry, or Luke summarized Paul's ministry in Acts chapter 14, verse 22. In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, Luke said these words. He says, Paul was strengthening the souls of the disciples. That's what he went around doing, strengthening the souls of the disciples. He went around encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul's job as an apostle, as a missionary, was to go from city to city, from town to town. 
to make disciples. A disciple is an apprentice. An apprentice is a person who follows their teacher everywhere that they go in order to emulate and to become like their teacher. He went around making disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. But a part of making a disciple was to strengthen them and to prepare them for a hard truth, a hard fact. And that hard truth and that hard fact is, is that we will suffer. And the only way that we will make it into heaven as Christians is through many trials, through much, much suffering. Catch this. Often during our times of suffering, we allow our situation to affect how we respond to God and how we treat other people. And James, in this passage, is calling us to rethink the way that we respond to God. Rethink the way that we treat other people when we are going through our trials. It is said that our trials, our times of pain, our times of suffering, they don't come to break us, but they come to make us. They don't come. God doesn't allow them to come into our lives to make us bitter, but rather to make us better. As you suffer through whatever you're suffering through, can you say that you are responding in a such a way that draws other people to Christ rather than pushing them farther away? As Christians, James says we must suffer, but there's a a specific quality, there's a a specific trait that Christians must have when we go through our times of suffering. Look at verse 7. James says that we must be patient. The mark of a Christian during suffering, James, is encouraging us and reminding us that the mark of a Christian during times of suffering is Patience, the Greek Marco Themo, Marco meaning big or large, Themo meaning anger or temper, putting it together, the word means that we must go through long, 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 we must go through and be long tempered. We must go through our trials with a a calmness of spirit. We must go through our trials being slow to anger. We must go through our times of suffering as other words suggest. We must be forbearing. We must be uh, long-suffering. We must be enduring during our trials. The mark of a Christian during their trials is that they respond with patience. Look at verse 6. As James was warning the rich, he says to them, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He's, he's calling the rich out for their unjust court system. And, and, and treating people the wrong way. But look at the second part of verse 6, the, the B clause. He says... But he, speaking of the righteous person, he does not resist you. Meaning that during his trial, during his time of oppression, during his time of of suffering, he is not fighting back at you. He's not cursing you out. He's not throwing things at you. 
He's not sending bad emails about you. Huh? He says he's not re- resisting you, but, but rather he is being patient. He is being long, suffering. We must understand that this patience only comes from God. This type of patience is a, is a virtue of, of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That while he tells us to be patient, we must rely on the Lord to help make us patient. Patience is a result of God's gift, a result of receiving his spirit. Remember Galatians chapter 5, 22, when Paul lays out the fruit of the spirit, one fruit with, with nine elements. You remember the fruit of the spirit is love, it's peace, it's, it's joy, and it's what? Long-suffering. Or as the ESV says, patience. You know, sometimes I could be an ESV vegan, amen. Patience. Patience is a result of God working in our life through his spirit. Now, how long must we be patient? How long do I have to suffer? How, How long do I have to hold on without telling this person off? How long do I have to go through this this trial without being allowed to throw a temper tangent? How long, oh Lord? And listen to what James says. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Some of the sisters said yes, he said brothers. That word in Greek, adalphos, means brothers and sisters here. Amen. He says, be patient until the return of Christ. But as we look at verse 7 and as we look at verse 8, we see, and as we look at verse 9, we see that the emphasis is on the Lord's return. It's on God coming back. It's on Christ returning for those who are, are his. Patience, true biblical patience, true Christian patience, long-suffering is built on us having an eternal perspective, us having a longing for the coming of Christ. He says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. If I am going to suffer through my trials in a way that glorifies God, if I'm going to suffer through my trials in a, in a way that, that causes me not to grumble, not to throw temper tangents, not to, to act rude and, and excuse my rudeness as a result of what I'm going through, if I am going to be able to do that, it is only as a result of me having a perspective of Christ's return coming of the Lord, the parousia in Greek, which means the arrival of his physical presence. Do you long for the coming of Christ? When you are going through your situation and your trial with your spouse and it feels like the only resolution Is divorce or murder? Using murder how James used murder as using words against the person. Amen. I'm not talking about OJing somebody. 
When we go through our trials, James says, we have to see, we have to have a picture, and we have to remind ourselves that this suffering, that this pain, that this situation will end one day, and that day is when Christ returns. That day is when he arrives. When he arrives. Look at the example that James gives. He illustrates this perfectly. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. One, one good thing about being able to go through the book of a Bible together and to preach through it is we can see uh, the personality of the person who's writing. And, and James, often when he uses illustration, he goes back to nature. And here he, he takes us back to nature. He says, I want you to observe the farmer. I want you to observe the farmer. In Israel, the, the farmer would often wait for the autumn rains, which usually appeared in the month of October. And, and this autumn rain softened the ground for planting. And then he would wait for the spring rain, which usually came up in April or in May. And it, it matured the crops for, for harvest. So there was a season of, of waiting for this farmer. But, but what got the farmer through this season of waiting was that he understood that what was coming, the fruit of the ground, he called it precious. He was able to go through that, that time of famine. He was able to go through that time of, 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 of scarcity because he had faith that the, the fruit of the earth would provide for him. And he knew that that would be a precious day when it came. And, and, and James is saying here to us as, as Christians that we have to have the patience of a farmer. When we go through our trial, we have to go through it recognizing and realizing that, that Christ will return. In fact, as we look through the New Testament, we see that this is, a, this is a, a major theme of the New Testament. This isn't just a side theme. This is a, a major theme. As we walk through the Gospels, we see that the Gospels are, are constantly talking and Christ is constantly talking about his return. As we walk through the epistles and we travel to Paul, we see that Paul is encouraging us through our suffering by pointing to the day that the Lord returns, the parousia. He tells us that we ought to endure this light or momentary affliction because the glory that we shall receive, he says, is nothing to be compared with. We have to have a perspective, a mindset that says that, that Christ is returning and that his return is precious. It has to be a, a real thing to us a real real thing the return of Christ has to be a date that we look forward to and that we believe will come is it is the coming of Christ is it a unfulfilled reality to you is Christ coming an event that you are patiently waiting on as a farmer patiently waits on his crop? Is it something that you expect? Look at the next part of this passage as he talks about the farmer pointing to the coming of the Lord as our precious reward, as our precious fruit. 
He also says again, you also be patient. You also be long-suffering. And listen to what he says. He says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. What does it mean to establish? To establish means to to fix. It means to, to set firm. He says, fix your heart towards this date. He said, fix your heart. Make sure that this date is set firm in your mind. Make sure that you see the coming of the Lord as your big day. As your big day. As a bride expects and patiently waits for her wedding day that has been set, so must we wait for the return of Christ. And while we wait for the return of Christ, we want to make sure that we're patient. We want to make sure that we are living in such a way that others could see that we do have hope. Remember in Matthew chapter 25, the parable that Jesus told. Remember, he was talking to Jews at the time. and He was warning the Jews about them being slow to respond to him as Messiah. And he said to the Jews, he, he's beginning to speak in, in parables. And one of the parables he told was a parable of ten virgins who all were waiting on the bridegroom. They gathered together waiting on the bridegroom to come one night. And the Bible says, Jesus said in the parable that, that the bridegroom delayed. He took longer than they were expecting. So the Bible says that they fell asleep and they became drowsy. They weren't alert. And suddenly they heard a voice that said, the bridegroom is coming. And the Bible says that five of the virgins were wise and they were prepared. They they had their lantern ready. They were alert. They were ready to go and to walk into the chambers. But the Bible says that there were five who were unwise. Five who were not prepared. Five whose lamp, whose oil was running low. And they looked at the five who was wise and said, let us get some of your your oil so that our lamp would stay lit. And they said, the the wise said, no, just run out to the market, to the store and hurry back. And And the Bible says that they ran out to get some more oil. But when they got back, the bridegroom had closed the door. They banged on the door. And the bridegroom said, I don't know you. Jesus here, through James, the Holy Spirit through James, is is telling us that we ought to be living, even during our times of suffering, in such a way uh, uh, that our hearts is established for that day, that we are alert, that we are prepared, that we are waiting on the bridegroom to come, that this is a, a real reality. And even though it seems like he is delaying, we ought to stay alert. As Paul said in the book of Romans chapter, I believe it was 13, 14, he said, wake up. Said, get up. Said, fix your heart. Set your heart towards this day. Well, does that mean I, I have to walk around every day, every time I go through something and, and remind myself that Christ is coming? Yes, that's what it means. Well, won't I be too heavenly minded to be any earthly good? Too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. Have you ever heard anybody say that? 
All you do is talk about Jesus. All you do is talk about Christ. You, you're just waiting on something. Da, 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 da. You're just going through that. You're, you're, you're too heavily minded to be any of any earthly good. You can never be too heavenly minded. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. We can never anticipate the return of Christ too much. We can never think about God too much. Well, there's some people who are so into God, so stuck up to, to they're no, really no good to anybody else. They can't help anybody else. Well, that's a person who's not really into God. That's a person who's not really heavenly minded. Jesus was heavenly minded. And Jesus walked the earth and, and did not crush a bruised reed. A person who is truly heavenly minded is a person who is earthly goods. Because they are helping people to establish an eternal mindset. They are saying to people, yes, I know you're hurting, baby. I, I know you're going through, but I, I want to remind you that trouble won't last always. That there is a parousia. There is a coming of the Lord. There is a, a time when Christ will arrive and when Christ will, will reign. I, I know it seems like life is difficult and that, that you're getting the bad end of life. But, but sweetie, if you just put your faith in, and trust in Christ, you'll, you'll find out that life is going to get better after a while. Isn't that what Paul said? Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ. Y'all remember this, our memory verse. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, establish your hearts. Establish your hearts, he said. We have to have a mindset that is constantly, a mind that is constantly meditating on the return of Christ. The return of Christ. And if we are patient, it's going to show up in how we communicate. It's going to show up in how we talk. We know that this is a major theme throughout the book of James. He denotes a whole chapter to our communication and the way that we communicate in chapter 3. And even in chapter 4, he talks about how when we argue, it's because we have unmet passions. And as a result of our unmet passions, we lash out at each other. James, again, is showing us that a person whose mind is set on the coming of the Lord is a person who is communicating graciously. Look at what he says in the text. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you might not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Do not grumble. To grumble means to groan, to, to criticize, to be critical, overly critical. He says, listen, do not be overly critical at one another during times of suffering, my brothers. Why does he say that? He says that because during times of suffering, we have a, a tendency to lash out at other people. Am I right about it? Have you ever seen that person? We all know that person. And sometimes we're that person. Have a bad day at work. Come home. Wife smiling. Dancing around the apartment. Kids are happy. Walk in the door. Y'all so happy for 
When we, we suffer, we have a tendency to, to want other people to be miserable with us. We have a tendency to want other people to feel our pain. Our pain. Debbie Downer is what we become. Trying to pull everybody else down with us. James says, be careful. He says, when you suffer, be careful not to grumble. Be careful not to criticize one another, brothers. Be careful not to use our words to to hurt other people. This is consistent with what he has been saying throughout this book. Then he goes on. And he gives us the reason why, again, once again, because of the coming of the Lord, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. The judge is Christ. He's reminding us that we want to do our best during our times of suffering to to live in a way that is alert, in a way that is glorifying God, in a way that says to other people, "I, I know that God is near, that the time is near, that Christ is returning. So even through my suffering, I'm going to behave as if he He is right at the door. I remember being in elementary school in in eighth grade. I had an awesome teacher. Her name was Miss Mack. She taught English. Miss Mack. Miss Mack did not take any stuff. She was one of those teachers that loved the kids to death, but she required discipline. She was a new teacher to the school, and, and, and I remember during the first few weeks of school, we all began to notice that Miss Mack, about 20 minutes into the hour, would step outside for 15 minutes. And we would guess, we had guessing games, why she would disappear. She would give us busy work, and she would just disappear. Uh, some people said that she was going to take lunch, or she, some people said she, go, she goes down to the principal office, she does this, she does this. And finally, we asked her, said, Miss Mack, what do you do when you go outside? She says, oh, I go out to walk my dog. We said, walk your dog? Well, later on, we realized that what Miss Mack was doing when she left is that she was smoking a cigarette. <laughs> and we found the exact location of where she was smoking. So students was able to look outside and kind of see her just a little bit. And we can tell now in time when she was coming back. And when Miss Mack was on her way back, we would yell, Mack is back. (laughs) Somebody would shout, Mack is back, Mack is back. And she would begin to come closer to the door. Everybody would straighten up. Well, there was always a couple people who could not calm down in time, who ended up getting a detention. But us anticipating her return, had us straighten up because we didn't want to be the one that was caught. James is saying here that we have to live anticipating the return of Christ. See, the difference between Christ and Miss Mack, well, one is that Christ doesn't smoke, but the second difference is, is that Christ has not told us when he's returning. Remember what he said? He says, no man knows the hour that I will return. We don't know when Christ will return, but we know that he will return. And he calls us to always be ready, to always be prepared, to always be anticipating that moment. And anticipating that moment should cause us to treat each other well every moment. Because we don't know when Christ will be coming back. 
But when he returns, there will be a shout. The shout of a trumpet. Huh? And the dead in Christ shall, shall rise first. And I don't know about you, but I want to be ready when he comes back. I don't want to be caught huffing and puffing, laying and playing. I don't want to be caught cheating and, and talking negative about my neighbor. I don't want to be caught mistreating my wife and mistreating my parents. I want to be ready and alert and say, Lord, I, I've been waiting on you. That's why the New Testament church was so radical. That's why they, they were able to do such great things as we see in the book of Acts because Paul took on the mindset that Christ could return in my lifetime. Ah, uh, It led him to radical living, to radical obedience, to radical love, to, to radical suffering, to radical praise, to, to radical discipleship. It, it led him to a radical style of living because he wanted to see his Lord and his Lord said he was returning. So he said, I'm going to be ready when he returns. Now, James is not saying that we will lose our salvation. That the judge is at the door, therefore, every single minute of the day, we should fear Christ or be afraid of Christ. We should always fear him, have a, a healthy respect. But he's not saying that we should be afraid of him. He's not saying that we should be trembling as we walk every day. And every time we sin, that we should be depressed and down and, 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 and feel like we have to become saved over and over again. No, he's saying that we want to live in such a way till we understand that Christ is near. He is near. He is, our, he is a, a judge, but to us, we know that God is also our father. He is our, Christ is our ransom, our, our advocate, our friend. Then James gives us some examples. He, he tells us that we, in waiting patiently for the Lord, that we ought to look to some examples of, of the prophets who have suffered. Look at verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. James is saying that when you are going through your trials, when you are going through your pain, when you are going through your suffering, you, you have to remember the prophets. You have to remember the people of old. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, we read the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Christians at Rome. He says, for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I'm going to read that again. Paul told the church at Rome. He was trying to get them to point back to the, the word of God, to remember those who came before them. He says, for whatever was written in the former days, in the days past, he says, it was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The reason that we have the word of God, the reason that we have the Bible, the reason that we have the testimony of the prophets is, is that we would look to them for hope, for hope. He's telling the person who is grieving the loss of a spouse, whose spouse has, has passed and who, who feels alone and who feels neglected and who, who feels sad. He's, he's telling that person to look to the examples of the prophets. Remember Ezekiel. Remember how Ezekiel suffered. 
Remember how Ezekiel was grieved as, as the Lord allowed the delight of his eyes, the delight of his life to be taken from him, as the text says. Remember the prophets. Remember that, that another of the prophet Ezekiel went through a time of loss. And that even in the midst of his grieving, as he grieved to himself and not before Israel, even in the midst of his grieving, that God comforted him and that God gave him the strength to go on, the strength to fulfill his will. Because some people, we, we all know that when we lose people, we have a tendency to, to be hurt and to, to feel neglected and to, to draw back. But we can look to the, to the testimony of the prophets and, and remind ourselves that in our times of grieving that God is with us. To the person who is going through marital disappointment. To the person who expects more from their spouse and who, who wants to love their spouse, but their spouse is not saved. Their, their spouse is, is went wayward. Their, their spouse does not love Christ. To that person, we can look to the prophets. We can look to a prophet by the name of Hosea. A prophet who had a wife that, whose name was Gomer. And his wife was a, a prostitute. We can look at Hosea and we can look and see how God allowed Hosea to be faithful even though his spouse was unfaithful. And we can remind ourselves that even though people are unfaithful in our lives, that God is always faithful. We can look to the example of Elijah whenever we feel like failures, whenever we feel like we have fallen short and we've done all that we can do. Whenever we feel like throwing in the towel and calling it quits, we can look to Elijah's example and remind ourselves that God cares about us when we feel that way. That God does not leave us alone. The Bible says that after Elijah had his victory on Mount Carmel, and after he thought that he had defeated, uh, finally defeated Jezebel and finally turned the nation of Israel back to God. And, and he learned that he did not and that Jezebel was still trying to kill him. The Bible says that Elijah gave up. He said, Lord, just take my life. But God ministered to him. He, he sent the angel to feed him. He, he revealed himself to him. We have to remind ourselves in times of loneliness that what we go through as Christians is not new. That God has given us encouragement through the prophets. When we feel like our labor for Christ is in vain. When we feel like our labor of, of trying to witness to our children is in vain. When we feel like people aren't listening and taking the warning of, of, and turning their lives over to Christ. May we remember the example of John the Baptist. A prophet of God. Who even though he was strong and seen as the greatest of all the prophets, he got discouraged. But even during his time of discouragement, he sought out Christ. He asked his disciples, he said, go find Jesus for me. While he was sitting in jail for doing what was right as King Herod was uh, uh, getting ready to kill him. He says, go find Jesus and ask him one question. Are you the Messiah or shall we wait for another? Lord, I'm tired. I've done all that I could do. Father, I've prayed all that I could pray. Tell him, tell him that, that I was faithful to the word, that I did everything that God wanted me to do. And, and now I'm in this, this situation that seems dark and that seems pale. I need to know, are you with me? And do you remember what Jesus said? The Bible says that that very day that Jesus told the disciples, he says, follow me. 
He looked at John's disciples and he went out and healed lepers and gave sight to the blind. He said, go and tell John the Baptist that I am he. And sometimes during the midst of our trials, during the midst of our suffering, during the midst of our turmoil, sometimes we doubt, sometimes we get weak. But, but if we just open up the Bible and, and look to the prophets, we will remember that anyone who is speaking for the Lord of hosts, anyone who comes in the name of God, that we shall be encouraged, we shall receive strength. We have to look to the examples of people who have come before us. During your time of suffering, whose example do you look towards? During your time of suffering, what do you run to? During your times of suffering, do you run to Jack Daniels to help you make it through? Do you seek some southern comfort during your time of suffering? Is Alizé who you run to? The Bible says that we ought to run to the Lord during times of suffering. We ought to run to his word and we ought to remind ourselves that the suffering, tribulations comes as a result of us living in a fallen world. But for those who put their faith and hope in Christ, our labor is not as vain. And then James points us to Job. He says, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James then points to the perfect example of one who is suffering, to the perfect example of one who lost all. He pointed to the example of Job. The Bible talks about how Job was an upright man. You know the story. The Bible talks about how Job woke up early in the morning and how he prayed and offered sacrifices on behalf of his children. The Bible talked about how Job loved the Lord and how one day the Lord allowed his faith to be tested in order to prove a point to Satan that I have put a, a, a good investment in Job and I have confidence that he will come through. And Job went through a complete recession. See, the recession that we go through is just financial. But Job went through a recession that was way deeper than our recession. Job not only lost his possessions, not only did he lose some, some financial things, but Job lost his family. He lost his children, everybody except for his wife. And then on top of that, the three friends that he had turned out to be knuckleheads. As while he was suffering, they had the nerve to try to hate on him. And try to play God and say that the reason why you're suffering is because you did something wrong. Just because I'm suffering does not mean that I have done something wrong. But sometimes it may be because I have done something right. And then we see James saying, remember the example of Job. How even though Job lost all, he remained steadfast. He continued to endure. And that's all God is trying to tell us, that, that during our times of suffering, during our times of pain, we must endure. We must remember what others have been through and be encouraged. The Bible says here of Job that, 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 that not only was he steadfast, but the Bible then points to the Lord. And it says that, that God revealed to the Lord the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. 
That's what we have to remember during times of suffering, during times of tribulation, during times of pain, that the one who is the Lord is the one who is compassionate. That word compassionate in Greek is the word that we get the, the word, English word, sympathize from. To sympathize means to suffer along with. The Bible says that the Lord is compassionate. That when we suffer, the Lord suffers along with us. <laughs> that the Lord does not allow us to stay in our moment of suffering or our time of suffering alone. But that he steps in our situation with us in order to give us hope. And isn't what that, that what he did when he sent his son Jesus Christ? When the world was suffering as a result of their sin. And Israel was suffering as the re, as, at the result of some Pharisees, some bad religious leaders. Isn't that how God is? He, he not only just gives us help, but he becomes our help. As the Bible says, he stepped into human clothing and he put on human flesh. He walked the streets of Nazareth and he suffered with the people who were suffering in Nazareth. The people who other people were saying was no good. He, he was born in Bethlehem, and he came and was raised in the hood. I'm so glad that I serve a God who's a, the God of the hood, the God who is willing to, to, to associate with the lowly. And sometimes during our times of suffering, we have to remind ourselves that God came for those who were poor. He came for those who are lowly. He came to suffer alongside with you. I don't care what you're going through in your marriage. Remember that God is suffering with you. I don't care what you're going through on your job. Remember that if you just be patient, God will suffer with you. I don't care what you are going through with your finances. Remember that if you just hold on to the hand of God, he will hold on to your hand. And even when you feel like letting go, I found out that he'll hold on to you anyhow. When I try to take my hand away from him, he has a way of grabbing my arm and saying, I'm going to carry you through this. When I feel like throwing in the towel, he has a way of picking up the towel and holding it for me. I'm so glad that I serve a God who cares more for me then I can care for myself. I stop putting my faith and trust in things because I recognize that when, thing, when times get hard, things have a tendency to disappear. I stop putting my faith and trust in, in people because people can give me the comfort that I need. But when I put my trust in the Lord God of Jacob, he never, never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever, never. He never fails me yet. When I felt like I was weak, he has a way of giving me strength. When I felt like I couldn't run, he told me that I can run. And he gave me the wings of eagles. When I felt like saying, Lord, I'm in it by myself, he reminded me that you've got three people that's with you. You've got me, the Father. You've got my Son. And you've got the Holy Spirit. And three plus one is a mighty good team. One plus one is victory. When you've got Jesus on your side. Does anybody in here know what it's like to suffer with Jesus on your side? 
Can anybody testify of the goodness of Jesus in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your trial? Can anybody in here, while you suffer, be courageous and count it all joy? Can anybody in here laugh at Satan and say, Satan, you thought you had me depressed, but God, Satan, you thought I was going to lose my mind, but God, Satan, you thought I was going to grumble and complain, but God, Satan, my hope is built on nothing less but Jesus and his righteousness. Satan, no matter what you take from me, I've still got hope. And my hope is in the coming of the Lord. It's in the parousia. It's in the presence of Jesus. It's in the hope that one day all things, all things, all things will turn out all right. I can't wait till Jesus return. I can't wait till there's no more cancer. I can't wait until there's no more crying. I can't wait until there's no more sin. I can't wait until there's no more pain. Come on, Jesus. Lord, come quickly. Lord, we need you. We need you, Lord. Say, we need you, Lord. Romans 15 and 4 says, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scripture, that we might have hope. How do you suffer? How do you go through your times of disappointment? In the second century, Christians were known for being faithful and for suffering in such a way that it drew non-Christians to want to know Christ more. There was a letter that was written by Aristotle, to, who was a Christian philosopher, to the emperor and it was written in A.D. 125. And I want to close with this letter as the emperor was asking him why he was a Christian and why Christianity was spreading despite persecution. And he responded by saying that those who were oppressed, who oppressed them, who oppressed Christians, they exhort, they encourage as a result of the word of God. And they make God known to their friends. They do good to their enemies. Their wives, O oh king, are pure as virgins, and their daughters are modest. Their men are abstaining from un unlawful sexual conduct and impurity. As for their bondmen and bondwomen, as for their children, if they are any, they persuade them to become Christians. And when they have done so, they call them brethren without distinction. They refuse to worship strange gods, and they go through their way in all humility and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found in them. 
They love one another. The widow's needs are not ignored. And they rescue the orphan from the person who does them violence. He who has gives to him who does not have. Ungrudgingly and without boasting. When the Christians find a stranger, they bring him to their homes and they rejoice with them. When a baby is born to one of them, they praise God. And even if the baby dies at infancy, they come together and they praise God even the more. But if one of them died in his iniquities and in their sins, they grieve bitterly and, and they become sorrowful because they know that that person is going to meet their doom. Such, O oh King, is the commandment given to the Christians. And such is their conduct as men who know God. They ask from him requests which are proper for him to give and for them to receive. And because they acknowledge the goodness of God towards them, on their account there flows forth the beauty that is in the world. The good which they do, they do not shout for the, for the ears of the multitude that people will notice. But they conceal their giving as man conceals his treasure. They strive to be righteous. As those who expect to behold the face of their Messiah and to receive from him his promises. May we, as God's people, model what has been modeled before in times of suffering. May we suffer in such a way that people will come to know Christ as their Savior. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the example of the prophets. We thank you, Father, for the example of those who have come before us. And we ask you, Father, to help us as we suffer. Help us as we go through our trials. Help us as we go through our tribulations. Help us, Father, to be faithful to you. When others around us are faithless, help us to have the faith to encourage them. When things around us are in tumult, in tumult Lord, and just going crazy, Lord, help us to, to not lose hope in you. Help us to never let the gospel of Christ become old. Never allow our hearts to become cold. Help us, Father. Help us to suffer, Lord. And as we suffer, to remember that blessed is he or she who suffers for righteousness' sake. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. At this time, there may be someone who is suffering.